Hymn 187 is our new hymn, and so we'll take a look at stanza number one. Uh, the hymn is When All the World Was Cursed. It is a, a hymn that's used for a minor festival. It was actually for the uh, day of St. John the Baptist, June 24th, I believe it is. And uh, so let's see what we have. When all the world was cursed, when all the world was cursed by, Moses condemnation, by Moses condemnation, Saint John the Baptist came, Saint John the Baptist came with words of consolation. With words of consolation. All right. When all the world was cursed, when was the world cursed? When did it happen, Mark? At the fall already, we have the announcement of, uh, of God after the, the fall uh, concerning the curse. We read about it later also even in Romans where it says that the whole world is, is under the curse, the curse of sin. And so our fall gives us a sinful nature. So when that happened, started at the Garden of Eden, all the way through, particularly here it says, by Moses' condemnation. Well, when did that happen? <laughs> so we're talking about Mount Sinai, the Ten Commandments uh, that Moses had. Uh, this is the first time that we have the commandments written down. And so uh, later the, the New Testament again picks this up and says, when the writing of the law, which had been written on men's hearts, uh, that is, the natural law of, of right and wrong, had become so smudged, if you will, that God had the commandments, first he speaks them out, then they are written down on tablets of stone, uh, so that we might know what the will of God is. We might know what is right and what is wrong. And so even when the world is under well, the condemnation that Moses brought down, Ten Commandments, already in, was before, but here again it is uh, emphasized. It says, St. John the Baptist came with words of consolation to console us. What was the consolation that John the Baptist brought? What did he say that dealt with the curse? That is, everyone who sins shall die. That's the curse. What did John say? Cecil? Yes. He said to be baptized. Why? To be reborn for the forgiveness of sins. Aha. And so he says here, I come bringing you forgiveness of sins. Concerning Jesus, what did he say? Hmm. Yeah, one greater than I is coming. Um, I'm so unworthy, he couldn't do something. What couldn't he do? He couldn't untie his sandals, he said. I'm not even worthy to untie Jesus' sandals. 
Um, that's how much greater uh, Jesus was than John. Exactly. He recalled him the Lamb of God, the one who takes away sin. So we've got the curse that says you've got sins, you deserve sin, you deserve death and hell. John the Baptist comes with consolation. He comes with good news. He comes telling us about a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, about how Jesus comes to take away the sins of the world, that he is going to be the sacrifice. That's what the Lamb of God. In the Old Testament, lambs were sacrificed. So here he comes as a, as a sacrifice. So here, this is John. With true forerunner's zeal, forerunners. He runs ahead. In other words, Isaiah already told us ahead of time, before the Savior comes on the scene, there's going to be one who's going to come. He's going to prepare the way of the Lord. That's John. So John comes on the scene and gets us ready by not only preaching the law, but especially by the consolation that comes from the gospel, that he might point out Jesus and get us ready. So with forerunner zeal, running ahead, preparing the way for the Lord, what does he do? The greater one he named, and him as yet unknown. John the Baptist and Jesus, uh, biologically speaking, their relationship? Cousins, yeah. Um, and so John, who is out preaching about age 30, uh, Jesus, about the same. What happens? John is preaching him, and Jesus has been on this earth 30 years, and yet they pretty well don't know him yet. Uh, John is going to reveal him. John is going to point him out. Uh, and so the one who is yet unknown, the greater one, he names him as the Lamb of God. He points him out. As Savior, he proclaims. With true forerunner zeal, the greater one he named. And him as yet unknown as Savior he proclaimed. Stanza one. When all the world was cursed, by Moses' condemnation, St. John the Baptist came with words of consolation, with true forerunner's seal, the greater one he named, and him as yet unknown, as Savior he proclaimed. We're on the commandments. We've gotten through the first table of the law, which is commandments one through three. Those deal with the love of God. So now we begin with love of our neighbor, or how God desires us to behave and act towards our neighbor. Fourth commandment, honor your father and your mother. When it comes to our neighbor, God desires us to love him. Love your neighbor. Comes to your brother, your sister, commands love. 
when he gets to parents, father and mother, there is something even higher than love. It is honor. Honor your father and your mother. Why is honor considered higher than love? Respect. It includes respect for what? How smart they are as parents. Maybe not. How good looking they are as parents. Maybe not. In what, what are you supposed to respect in your father and mother? There are many things that parents do for us, and yes, they deserve great respect for those things. But this honor goes beyond what, uh, who they are and what they have actually done. Your parents may have done things uh, which are, well, against the word of God. They may do things that are embarrassing. They may do things that are, are not right. You are still to respect them. You are still to honor them. They have been given a position of authority in you. God has placed them. When he says respect, God places them in a position over you, kind of next to him, saying, because of what they, I have made them as your parents, you are to respect them. Um, and so there may be times where you have to respectfully say, um, Father, you know, that that's not right. The scriptures say this. No, I, you know, if your father tells you to lie or something like that, you know. Um, but that doesn't mean that you disrespect them. That doesn't mean that you speak bad of them or slander them. No, I am to hold them in respect. Fourth commandment, honor your father and your mother. What does this mean? We should fear and love God so that... We should fear and love God so that... We do not despise or anger... Our parents and other authorities. So, our parents are the primary authority. Pretty well, everything else flows out of the authority that has been given to them. Um, nevertheless, there is also authorities that have been given. Sometimes we refer to the fathers of our nations or fathers that are to watch over the country. Um, that would be governing authorities. Other times we refer to uh, fathers in, uh, in the church even, um, in addition to biological fathers. Uh, when, uh, not too long ago, I went and gave blood, and the, uh, uh, the guy who was uh, taking my blood, he said, can I, can I ask you a question? I had my collar on and all, you know, well, yeah. And, well, where are you? I go, well, I'm from Trinity Lutheran, and, and over here he goes, oh, what do they call you? I go, well, most of them just call me Pastor, Pastor Henson. Um, you know, and I, I, he goes, well, I'm Roman Catholic. I go, some actually call me Father. <laughs> I said, and that's not a problem. Luther, they called him Father Luther. There are some, I go, I answer to that as well. Um, Luther in the large catechism says, I have no trouble with pastors being referred to as Father, provided they do what fathers are supposed to do. And so, 
a good biological, well, a good spiritual father is supposed to feed you with the word of God. He is supposed to protect you from, we'll see tonight, false sheep, uh, 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 wolves in sheep clothing who come and teach false doctrine. That's what true fathers are supposed to do. You do that fine, you can refer to them in, in that way. So that we do not despise or anger our parents and other authorities. Last part, but honor them. Serve and, obey them. Serve and obey them. Love and cherish them. Love and cherish Our parents are probably the closest thing that we have. They are that which has brought us into this world. Uh, they are those who have provided for us. And so in this way, uh, we should be pleased that God has provided this for us and that by our honor, we might respect, serve, and obey. Luther goes as far as to say, uh, if we had actually honored the fourth commandment, we would have no need of monasteries and spiritual offices where people ran off to try to find some spiritual way of serving God. What Luther means by that is, we would look to the commandments and say, oh, God is pleased when I serve, honor, love, and obey my parents. Therefore, I don't have to run off to a monastery to find a good work to do. I've got so much work to do in honoring my father and my mother, I need go nowhere else. In fact, to give you a little bit of an idea of what he says, uh, let's see. You are also to honor them by your actions, that is, by your body and possessions. Serving them, helping them, and caring for them when they are old, sick, feeble, or poor. All of this you should do cheerfully, but with humility and reverence, as in God's sight. He who has the right attitude towards his parents will not allow them to suffer want or hunger, but will place them above himself and at his side, and will share with them all he has to the best of his ability. So not only does he speak about those things which we are to do, um, but he says we ought to do it uh, with uh, cheerfulness that God has allowed us to participate in this great work. If that weren't enough, he gets on to the end of the large catechism and says, now let's talk about the job of parents and what they are to do for their children. And so as he goes to that, he says they are to provide materially for them that is, for their body, their possessions, giving them food and clothe them and a house and those kind of things, and also make sure that they are to be taught the word of God, that they are spiritually uh, to be taught what they need to know in order to be saved. And so he speaks of, of both of these duties that have been uh, given to, to parents as well. Um, we should fear and love God so that we do not despise or anger our parents and other authorities, but honor them, serve and obey them, love and cherish them. Questions? Fifth commandment will be gone next week, so we'll uh, get two tonight. You shall not murder. Everyone? You shall not murder. What does this mean? We should fear and love God so that. We should fear and love God so that. 
Why do all the commandment meanings begin with, we should fear and love God so that? Hmm. Every time Luther gets to that, he repeats the thing again. We should fear and love God so that. And then he tells us what to do. Why does he stick that at the beginning? Mark? Because that is the reason why we're doing that. Ah. If we don't fear and love God, why would you obey the commandments? You are correct. And so, Luther is connecting this back to, what is God's will? Is God's will simply that these actions happen? No, his will is that there is a motivation that comes from it. That is, that out of faith, we fear and love him, trust him, so that we do it. In other words, God doesn't just want us not to murder. He wants us to do it because we fear and love him, because we trust in him. In other words, do good works, please God only good works that flow out of faith. And so Luther hits on that again and again and again to teach us. The commandments are teaching us what to do, but they are to flow out of faith. That is, out of thankfulness for what God has done. If I'm doing this good work in order to try to be saved, it's not a good work. If I'm doing this good work so that people see me and boast about me, then it's not a good work. If I do it out of thankfulness for God, because I fear, love, and trust him, ah, that is a good work. We should fear and love God so that, next part, so that we do not hurt or harm our neighbor in his body, but help and support him in every physical need. So that we do not hurt or harm our neighbor in his body. But help and support him in every physical need. There are two that are not, that the fifth commandment does not apply to them. Two. Who does the fifth commandment not apply to? Government, Government is one. Government has been given the power of the sword. They are to punish evil, and with the power of the sword, even if it involves not just locking up or not just fine or whatever, if it involves the taking of life, that also has been given them to do. And so, no, if the government murders, if they engage in a just war and, and kill, it is not uh, a sin, it is not to commit murder. Um, if you are put into the military as a soldier and you are going on behalf of your country, no, you are not guilty of breaking the fifth commandment should you kill the enemy. Absolutely not. Mark? Another person would be, would be an individual acting, in, you know, acting in the vocation as a, as a citizen or a parent protecting a member of family or someone else from harm, someone engaging in that. That is true. The other is to parents have been given. Now, when we take a look at murder, we're also going to talk about uh, um, anger. Whoa, punishment towards. Parents have been given that authority as well. Um, yeah, back in uh, uh, early parts of Genesis, it included even the killing of your child. Uh, um, that is no longer uh, um, in effect. Nevertheless, uh, that you would train up your child, punish your child, um, that is quite appropriate um, concerning this. If your children 
by their disobedience and sin cause you to anger. Normally, anger fits under the fifth commandment. But if your child, by their disobedience, makes you angry, that is not a sin. That is not a sin. So two are, two are included. Uh, the government and then those who are placed in, in authority, um, whether it is the judge or the, or, or the parent or so. Um, so that we do not hurt or harm our neighbor in his body. The first thing God wants to take and protect is our parents, father and mother. The very next thing he says, uh, those are the ones that brought you into this life. The next one is the body that you have been given. And so God is concerned about uh, the body that it might be provided. He does not want us to hurt or harm our, our, our neighbor's body. Uh, why would we do that? Um, out of anger. There are many things that someone does, and our first reaction is to fight back. Our first reaction is to hurt or harm them for what they have done, uh, a, a revenge of sorts. God has provided the government to right wrongs, but we are to restrain ourselves concerning this, that we are not about hurting or harming our neighbor. Um, in addition to that, uh, there are not only the not hurting or harming, but then that which is to help. Um, it's not just a negative. It's not that we're supposed to not yell at our parents. We're actually supposed to say good things towards them. Um, in the fifth commandment, we're not supposed to hurt or harm them. But if we can help our neighbor, if our neighbor is, is naked and needs some clothes and we can help them, give them some clothes. If our neighbor is starving and we can provide food for them, then we provide for them, we help them. If somebody is uh, uh, splashing around and is drowning in the water and you can give them a hand, you give them a hand to pull them out. If you say, well, nope, I'm not going to do it. <laughs> you might say, well, I didn't, I didn't kill them. Yeah, but you're not helping them. That's exactly what you did. And so we talk about in each one of these commandments, both the command, what we are to do, help our neighbor, and the prohibition, what we're not to do, we're not to hurt or harm our neighbor. We can do it by our actions. Can we do it by our words? Yes, we can. We can hurt or harm our neighbor by our words. Now, yes, it's become quite common that uh, uh, someone is going to take offense. Um, I, I, I don't know about taking offense. I'm going to make sure I don't give offense. Um, I want to speak truthfully. I want to speak in a way that will be helpful. Yes, sometimes it's not going to be what someone likes to hear because it's going to be the truth. But I want to make sure that I'm not incendiary, that I am not giving offense or trying to you know, tear someone down uh, by my words. Uh, there are times in which uh, even, well, some things that we say, you might say uh, out of gentleness, uh, we might hold back for, for those. So we have to be careful with our words. So we can do it with our actions, or lack of actions. We can do it with our words, probably also lack of words. Um, can we hurt or harm our neighbor with our thoughts? What do you think, Luke? Yes. You think you can? Well, yes. Now he says no. So we got a yes and a no from Luke. <laughs> um, 
Maybe you would like to break the tie. <laughs> so you think something you think something bad in your mind. You're right, and that would involve words. Yeah, this is why I brought this one up, because you're right, there's kind of two parts to this. Okay. So if they're thinking bad thoughts about somebody, it's going to affect the way that you talk with, to them. And it will affect your judgment on whether you would help them or hurt them or they just don't think quite often. Okay. Anger is included as a sin under the fifth commandment. Um, so, is it wrong? Absolutely. You can, by your anger, Jesus talks about it in Matthew 5, you've already committed murder in your heart. So it, it, it affects God. It affects the person themselves, and you're right, that can, where the scriptures say things like, uh, don't let the sun go down on your anger. Don't allow that to affect you so much. And so, you know, when Luke says, hey, wait a minute, this does have an effect, and I need to worry, because you're right, where does all this come from? My words and my actions come from my thoughts. Nevertheless, your hate in your heart, your neighbor doesn't know what's in your thoughts. He doesn't know what has happened. And so in that point, uh, um, no, it does not hurt my neighbor until it comes out my words or by my actions. Um, if you have sinful thoughts, you confess them to God. You tell him, I'm sorry, you confess him, because you don't want those to come up. If you have sinful words or actions towards your neighbor, you confess them to your neighbor. But if you have sinful thoughts to your neighbor, I, you know, there's no need to go around telling everyone all the crazy original sin thoughts that come up in my mind. Uh, um, no. Luke? Very good. I said anger is a sin. You are correct. I should have said anger can be a sin. It's not always a sin. Um, there is something that is described as righteous anger. That is anger at the uh, breaking of God's commands or the uh, uh, putting down of the glory of God. Uh, th that is considered righteous anger. That's what we have with Jesus in the temple. Uh, the scriptures say things like this. In your anger, do not sin. So in other words, it allows the possibility that there can be righteous anger. Don't let that lead you, though, to a wrong action that comes from it. So sometimes it is, sometimes it isn't. Good point. Good point. All right, so we have, get back, hurt or harm our neighbor in his body. We don't want to hurt or harm, especially those that are most vulnerable. That would include those that are young, 
uh, children who need to be taken care of, especially young children still in the womb, this is that we would provide for them. In the very same way, those who have, uh, due to age, have become vulnerable and weak and need to be protected and provided for, no, they are not to be uh, somehow decided that they are unworthy. That is a human life, and human life God has given. And God gives and God takes away. Um, and so in these ways, uh, we are to support uh, always what God has, has provided. Oh Lord, open my lips. And my mouth shall declare your name. Make haste, O oh God, to deliver me. Make haste to help me, O Lord. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit as it was in the beginning, is now and will be forever. Amen. Praise to you, O Christ. Alleluia. You may be seated. The reading is on the back of the yellow bulletin for Trinity 8. It's Matthew chapter 7. Verse 15, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits you will know them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. This is God's word. Our hymn is hymn 187. When all the world was cursed by Moses' condemnation, St. John the Baptist came with words of consolation, with true forerunners the greater one he named. And him as yet unknown, as Savior he proclaimed. Before he yet was born, he leaped in joyful meeting, confessing him as Lord, 
Whose mother he was greeting By Jordan's rolling stream A new Elijah He testified the pill Of whom the prophets told Behold the Lamb of God that bears the world's transgression, whose sacrifice removes the enemy's oppression. Behold the Lamb of God, the bearer of our sin, who for our peace and joy will full atonement win. Christ blesses everyone who heeds the proclamation which John the Baptist brought, accepting Christ's salvation. He who believes this truth and comes with love unfeigned as righteousness and peace in fullest measure gains. Our Lord of life, O grant that we receive rejoicing the word proclaimed by John our true repentance voicing that gladly we may walk until the Savior's way, until we live with Him in His eternal day. Our reading is Matthew 7. It begins with the word, beware, particularly of false prophets. But if you come upon a fence and it says, beware of the dog, what are you supposed to do? What does beware mean? Look out. What else? Be very cautious. Why? It can hurt you. Hmm. So, this is not an invitation to stick around. This is an invitation to make sure that you're on the other side of the fence. There is a harm here and to beware of it, right? Um, it may say, beware with an electrical box or something and, well, in that case, you better know what you're doing before there is a danger here that can harm and so when it says, beware of false prophets, well, this is a danger, a great danger. And God wants us to know about this. You may not know that there is a danger with a false prophet. So what's a prophet? What do they do? Mark? They proclaim the word, exactly. Um, simply, at the base of it, 
that's exactly what it means. They prophesy. They tell forth the word of God. Now, some prophets, yes, do talk about the future. Some prophets, same ones, Jeremiah, whatever, will talk about the past. He'll talk about the future. He'll talk about what's happening right here and now. But he's always telling forth the word of God. He's applying the word of God to the situation. Um, the word prophet, someone who prophesies, well, telling forth God's word concerning this, usually we associate it with the pastor, but, but in the scriptures it's not always that way. Um, there can be those uh, laymen who, who prophesy, who tell forth the word of God, um, and anyone who prophesies is to be listened to, except right here. Beware of false prophets. So what's wrong with the, what's the difference between, if prophets tell forth the word of God, what's the difference between a false and a true prophet? What's the difference? Sadie, what's the difference between a false and a true prophet? One teaches the word of God. The word of God teaches this. The other one says Plato's teaches. Oh, he says it's from the word of God, but hiding behind the word is something else, and it's not the word that he's teaching. Cecil. It would. It would definitely. If we're not preaching God's word, the only other word is man's wisdom, man's ideas, man's knowledge, as opposed to what God is uh, giving. Yes? That's the tricky thing about false prophecy. Sometimes they preach the word of God with truth. Sometimes they don't. And so you have to know when they're speaking falsehood even some of the time. So, we know the difference. One's not preaching the word, not telling what is true, and yet, you're going to say, it may be that we have to be careful. Um, well, so you come and you say, so, who, who, who are you? Well, I'm, I'm the pastor. Oh, have you been called and ordained? Yes. I have, I have been called and ordained. I didn't just come up here without a call. It's not that nobody ordained me. It's not that I just got up one morning and decided I'm going to walk down here and I'm going to tell you and I'm going to preach something to you. I actually have papers that say I've been trained. I've been approved by other pastors who have laid their hands upon me. And you sent me a call saying you, and it's a divine call, it's from God, to come here and to, to preach. So I was sent, that's what ordained means, sent to do that. Sometimes you hear the pastor at the beginning of their say, as a called and ordained servant of the word, um, it's kind of like getting out your uh, authority. Um, maybe somebody knocks at your door and they flip out their badge and say, here's my authority by which I can 
either ask you questions or come in. Here is my call and ordination. Yeah, where did you get that, huh? I want to know. I want to make sure. Mm. All right, so we will take one. First of all, if somebody walks in here and says to me, I think I'd like to preach tonight, I'm not going to sit down and just let him do it. Even if he comes in here and says, God told me to come in here and preach, I'm going to say, well, you can sit down right there and you can listen because you're not preaching. Why? Because... Someone who has been, you would say, God is a God of order, and he follows this. And so I don't know what his, uh, uh, that is. I want to make sure that it is following an order. Nevertheless, even when there has been the order that has followed, that doesn't mean, therefore, that you believe everything that I say. You are to, well, you're right, I may preach something false. Just because I'm in the pastoral office, just because I'm wearing a collar, just because I, that's not proof that you ought to listen to me. You're not to listen to me because I am energetic and I give you lots of good stories. Um, why are you to listen? How do you know? Luke? You're going to have to know the Word of God. Wow, that's pretty tough. You're going to have to know the Word of God. I'm going to preach on the Word of God. And the only way that you're going to have to know if I'm a true prophet or a false prophet is you compare it to the word of God. Now, granted, yes, if I start teaching crazy religious things, if I tell you there's not a trinity, there's just a duality, you obviously say, listen, that's not what the scripture says. You can point to that. If I tell you it's okay to uh, uh, commit adultery, it's okay to steal, you say, okay, that is not according to the word of God. What if I get up, uh, age of rationalism, and I get up for the Thanksgiving sermon, and I preach on the benefits of crop rotation? True sermon. <laughs> I wouldn't mind, but, but they, they did this. Um, at Christmas, uh, during the age of rationalism, they preached upon the benefits of stall-kept cattle. Because of the manger, right? That would be a, that's a very good thing. The animals are well taken care of. And, uh, Just show us where in the manger. Well, there's the stable in Lug 2. And, uh, that tell us about right, exactly. So even if, like one, I could teach things that don't have to do with God's word, that would be a problem because you're right. What does God want me to do? He wants me to preach law and gospel. He wants me to preach about Jesus. Show me where it says that you're supposed to be preaching about crop rotation. It's not there. Um, maybe that's a good lecture for someone on a Tuesday. I don't know, down at the farm meeting. But here we need to make sure that we're preaching Rightly, we're preaching the doctrines that need to be taught according to God's word, especially concerning our Savior, Jesus Christ. We need to make sure that we preach law, which shows us our sin, and the gospel, which saves us. Even if I'm preaching good law about the fifth commandment, if I tell you by keeping the fifth commandment you can be saved, you go, aha, that's wrong. We have to know the difference. So in this particular, he talks about beware of false prophets. What do they do? 
They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. If I preach to you false doctrine, and I tell you by keeping the fifth commandment you can be saved, and you trust in that, will you be saved? No, it will harm you, because you can't be saved by falsehood. You can't be saved by that. So that is like a wolf harming us. Two things with this. If it is a wolf dressed in sheep's clothing, a sheep is not something I need to be aware of, run away from. But a wolf I do. They hurt and harm. And so here is someone who comes to us appearing to be harmless. But actually, they are someone that you need to be aware of. Two, it may also be, um, at times, the scriptures do talk about a distinction between uh, the sheep and the shepherd. Um, I don't know that this one is pushing it in this particular point, but simply saying that those who would come uh, uh, being anti-pastoral or something might uh, be a problem. Um, as it goes on here, it says, uh, it talks about good trees, bad trees, fruit. Um, you will know them by their fruits. Come on down to the bottom. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. To enter the kingdom is to be saved. Not everyone who prays, not everyone who proclaims, says stuff about God, will even be saved, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. He who does the will of my... This passage catches people, especially Lutherans. They get a little bit uncomfortable because they kind of go, now wait a minute. The will, he who does the will of God, whoa, can you keep the will of God? No. You sin? Yeah. And so we say, as Lutherans, we know, we've been taught, the Ten Commandments shows me my, shows me my sin. And so here it says, we can tell what someone who's going to enter the kingdom of heaven is someone who's going to do the will of my Father in heaven. Mark? It's to believe in him. Yes. It's simply just to have the faith because that's what his will is. So Luther explains with the Ten Commandments the very question you answered, doesn't it? Why does he say we should fear and love God so that? Because the will of God is not simply external Ten Commandments, but that we have faith, that we believe in it. That also is the will of God. The Ten Commandments then become the way in which I thank him. Now, yes, I fail with those. You're right, Luke. I can't keep even that. But what is God's will? Well, the commandments show me my sin. God's will is that I confess it. God's will is that I believe in Jesus Christ. That's what he says. Repent and be baptized that you might be saved. Aha! And so here, when it talks about not everyone who goes around claiming a relationship with Jesus will be saved, but those who follow the word of God, the will of God, God's will concerning these things. So if I come to you and I say, um, uh, I am a Christian thief. What do you say? Wait a minute. I, you know, is, that, is that possible? Um, it's not possible for a good tree cannot bear bad fruit. And a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. What does it say? Can you be a good tree, a Christian, and then be willfully engaged in 
thievery? Well, no. You are right. We. You are correct. <laughs> That's the exact thing that the world says. Absolutely. Um, you know, and so it goes through, and you know, it doesn't matter what the thing is. You know, so we had you know entire cities overthrown due to homosexuality, and today people say, oh, there, there's nothing in the Bible that deals with that. I go, well, wait, wait a minute, what are you talking about? You know, and therefore I can be, in fact, we have entire Christian denominations that have put their seal of approval on it. And we go, wait a minute, that's what this is talking about. In other words, yes, what's happening? You can't be that. Um, no, you cannot be a Christian and hold up those things. It becomes feelings, emotions. You are correct. Liam? Very good. It's not saying that you will never do anything wrong. It's not saying that you're not going to sin. What it's saying is that those who willfully engage in this, yeah, it may be that you curse, that you swear, but if you decide I'm going into the business of being a thief, that's living in your sin. That's a completely different story. One is being uh, led into temptation. One is being deceived. One is being a, a sin of weakness. It's quite a different thing. Uh, when, when someone says, I'm going to dedicate my heart to this, I'm going to rush into it. That's different. So a Christian would say, I was a thief, and I'm really sorry that I stole those things, and I don't want to live that way anymore. And that's a daily thread that we are always, a Christian can keep sinning, but we keep confessing our sin and we drown that sinful nature. The sinful nature is always bringing up thoughts in my mind. I don't want to follow them, though. Sometimes I am tricked into it, led into it. I don't want to, um, but yes. So I want to say, um, I confess it. I'm going to leave it behind. What do you want to know about it? If someone doesn't believe in Jesus Christ, that is, the one who takes away their sin. Even if they're, you know, they just say, well, they're not devil worshipers. They just go around and try to do good and think they're fine. You can't be a good tree unless Christ has forgiven you your sin. So you can't actually do a good work. Good works come from thankfulness for your salvation. Now, that's in God's eyes, and we're talking about salvation. What about in this world, they might do very good things. That is, they might establish hospitals. And, and we would say in this world, it's, it, you know, people benefit. Um, I'm not quite sure whose hand I need to call on. <laughs> um, I'll call on Stephen because Leon wants to respect his father.
Um, there's always a reason behind. Um, Liam? Okay. Um, if someone believes in God, trusts in him for their salvation, um, then they want to honor and respect that same God. And that same God tells them to gather together. In Hebrews it says, uh, do not give up meeting together. Um, don't give it up. Um, they ought to be coming. They should, in fact, they should want to be coming because of it. What we find is that, yeah, sometimes people are so weak. I'm not going to say they're not a Christian, but I will tell them, if you're a Christian, here's what, here's what you should want to do. You should want to come and hear that, that, that word of God uh, for it. So I think we need to be careful. It is true that where there is a good tree, will bring forth good fruit. That is true. Where there's a bad tree, it brings forth bad fruit. I know that is the case. Where I see things messed up, I want to encourage back to, you know, wait a minute. If someone says, I'm good, but I, I do the evil, I go, no, you ought, that ought to be shunned. So, it, so we ought to direct it back to those things. In this particular passage, though, it is dealing with preaching and teaching. It's dealing with the pastoral office. It's dealing with how are you going to know who to listen to. And if it is a false prophet, you don't say, oh, well, that's okay. I'll just pick out what I like and what I don't like. Um, a false preacher, here's what they're doing. Instead of setting before you good food that will strengthen your faith and will help you, they're setting forth, and maybe they're setting forth Good food, good food, good food. Uh, I'll put a little false doctrine in this one. Poison. Good food, good food. All right, everybody eat. Well, what if the pastor's got some poison and he's mixing it in? You, do I want to eat? Do I want to take my chances? Do I want to? I don't know. I want to, it says, beware, flee from that. Um, What's going to happen? Those trees that don't produce good fruit will be cut down. Um, yes, that's what needs to be put away. I, I don't want to be a tree cut down. I want to be one that, well, I also don't want to eat from that who is preaching falsely. But that goes back then upon you because you have to know the word of God. Um, I'm going to say most of the style of Lutherans that I know uh, they read a, a book, and then uh, they go, well, let's see if it's good. Oh, is it by our publishing house? Oh, yep, then it's fine. Um, or when I began to teach about certain things that were going on in the Senate, they said, well, if the Missouri Senate's doing it, it must be right. I go, no, wait a minute. You know, here, let's go to the Word of God. Let's go to this. I go, no, this is wrong. I don't know. Until they say it's right or wrong, I go, no, you might as well, you know, you might as well be in the papacy where you say they have to tell me what's right or wrong. I don't know it. No, that's why God gave us the word. And, and the looks, the, the glazed over looks I got in my eyes when I said, how, they said, well, how are we going to know? And I said, you have to know the word of God. And they kind of looked at me like, well, now that would be, yeah, that makes it important last verse 23 and then i will declare to you i never knew you depart from me you who practice what's the last word 
lawlessness. The scriptures sometimes are referred to as the law, the law of God. What is lawlessness? Those which disagree with the law, with the word of God. What are they doing? They're taking the order that God has provided, law and gospel, showing me my sin, giving me forgiveness, faith producing good works. They're giving me this, and they're giving me it out of order. They're giving it lawlessness. They're uh, uh, separating. They're denying those kind of things. Um, that is those who will be, uh, as it says, thrown out. Even those who claim to do certain things. Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your Have we not? Um, what does my church do? My church picks up trash in Heron. My church does this. My church does that. Okay. My church is very friendly. Oh, well, if it's friendly, then it must be. No, we have to go back to what? The word of God. That's what we need to know uh, so that we can beware of that which can harm us, false uh, prophets. Questions? Okay. Get out our pink sheet. We'll do our prayers. First of all, what do we need to ask God for this evening? Based upon what we've learned from the Word of God, we need to ask Him for time. God, I know how important teaching is. I ask you to teach me. Um, next, what do we need to confess? Ask, confess. What has it shown us from the Word of God tonight? We've done what? I, I'm sorry, I just can't get the last word. Fruits, bad fruits, yeah, like what? Oh, when we produce bad fruits, we need to confess them, don't we? Like hurting our neighbor, or not helping our neighbor, or not honoring our parent, or not. Okay. Third, what do we need to thank God for? Or what was it? Louder. I'm sorry, I really do have a hearing problem, so you'll have to help me. That it's not and not fake. That it actually does what it says and saves. Let's thank him for that. Finally, what do we need to praise God for? Luke? What kind of God is he that we need to talk about him? Okay, let's do that. All right, help me out. Ten Commandments, we do the first part. Luke will, thank you. Apostles' Creed. Jonathan, Lord's Prayer. Um, sorry, lost my place. You've got the Lord's Prayer book. Holy, Holy Baptism. Liam, confession, Sadie, you do the sacrament of the altar for me? Okay, thank you. Please stand.
The Ten Commandments teach what we are to do. You shall have no other gods. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Honor your father and your mother. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his manservant or maidservant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. He says, I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the fathers, to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. The Apostles' Creed teaches what God does and gives. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. The Lord's Prayer teaches how we should pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Holy baptism brings us into the Christian community. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. 
but he who does not believe will be condemned. Confession and absolution is the voice of the gospel. The Lord Jesus breathed on his disciples and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. The sacrament of the altar is food for the soul. Our Lord Jesus Christ, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is given for you. This do in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you. This cup is the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. The Lord be with you. Let us pray. Grant to us, we implore you, Lord, the spirit to think and do always such things as are right, that we who cannot do anything that is good without you may by you be enabled to live according to your will. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with the Father and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would continue to teach us that we would know your word so well as to avoid false teaching and false prophets. We confess that we have not always given our attention to the teaching of your word but we ask your forgiveness. We thank you that you have given us a word that takes away our sins, takes away that awful curse, and we praise you for being such a loving God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all.